Good morning. We're reading this morning from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 13. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made a witness to the peoples. I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know you shall run to the Lord. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Whereas the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is God's word. Thanks, Rob, for reading for us. Let me add my greeting to Desert this morning. Very special welcome to everyone, especially if you're visiting with us today. This is perhaps your first time with us. We're very glad to have you. It'd be great if you could turn your, in your Bibles to Isaiah 55. Follow along with us today. As we do that, though, should we pray? Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. As your word goes out from your mouth today, let it be as the rain and the snow which waters the earth. Please let your word accomplish in our own hearts that which you purpose and succeed in the thing for which you send it. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Now, I'm an absolute sucker for quiz shows. Uh, One that I really enjoy is Tom Gleason's Hard Quiz. I wonder if anyone else is a Hard Quiz fan? Uh, One or two, great, good. I think the thing I really, oh, if, if you haven't seen the show, the way it works is each episode has four contestants. And each of those contestants has a, a specialist subject uh, that they're supposedly an expert in. And they've got to answer questions based on their specialist subject. And over a number of rounds, the person who answers the most questions right uh, wins the round. They're pretty simple. 
Uh, game show, of course, Gleason throws in plenty of banter for good measure. But the thing I find fascinating about Hard Quiz is the, the variety of specialist subjects that people claim to be experts in. Uh, there are plenty of predictable ones, of course. You've got the music and the, uh, the world history and sports, but labyrinths? Garlic. Uh, 80s and 90s supermodels. My personal favorite, toenails. And I mean, you know, good luck to them, that's fine. If you want to be an expert in toenails, be my guest. But when some of these out there subjects do come up, it does beg the question, how useful is it to have an encyclopedic knowledge of these things for your daily life? I mean, what do you do with that knowledge? I mean, at a stretch, if you're an expert on toenails, it might be very helpful if you're a podiatrist. Or if you're a French chef, it might be very helpful to know everything there is to know about garlic. But for the rest of us, what, what knowledge, what, what does all that knowledge do for us in our day-to-day? -day? Now, over the last eight weeks, we've been looking at the character of the God of the Bible in these 15 chapters from Isaiah chapter 40 to 55. And I really hope that your knowledge of the God of the Bible has been expanded, that you've got to know him better. In these chapters, the Lord's character is revealed to us as the one who comforts, the God who loves, who redeems, who renews, who helps, and yes, who crushes sin, but mercifully gives his own super servant to stand in our place and bear that punishment. He is an incredible God to know, and he reveals himself to us like that. But whenever we come to the Bible, I think there's always the danger that we we take what we learn about God and it remains in the realm of trivia. Details, considerations, or pieces of information of little importance or value to us, according to the dictionary. That's why the pinnacle of these chapters, and in many ways, Isaiah 55 is the pinnacle of the book. That's the reason that this high point of this sweeping revelation of God's glorious character ends with an invitation to respond to who he is. It's an invitation to do something with what we've learned about what God is like. Any good advertiser knows that it's not enough just to give the audience information. There's also got to be a call to action. And so in Isaiah 55, the call to action, based on the self-revelation of God in comfort, in love, in renewal, in redemption, in help, and even in judgment, the call to action is to come to come, because the God of the Bible is also the God who welcomes. Now, I hope you've got a Bible open in front of you. The chapter we're looking at this morning, chapter 55, it divides neatly into two halves. First half from verse 1 to 7 is all about what the Lord welcomes his people to. And the second half in verse 8 to 13 is all about what should motivate our acceptance of that welcome, the reasons we can receive that invitation and respond to it in verse 8 to 13. There's an outline in the order of service as well if you'd like to take notes. Now, let's have a look there first of all. First thing that the Lord invites us to come for is a free feast. A free feast. And this is going to be understood against the background of what Isaiah's already said about those who worship idols. Idolatry is one of the big issues in Isaiah. It's the issue that's it's taken Israel from a relationship with God into exile in Babylon. 
They worship these fake and counterfeit gods. And the big thing about idols, aside from them being false, is their inability to satisfy those who worship. So in chapter 44, verse 20, we read that the one who worships a god of his own imagining feeds on ashes. But when the Lord, God, the creator of the world, the judge of all, has personally revealed himself to us, why would we want anything less? Anything less, any imitation gods just fail to satisfy. False gods will betray our trust. Idols we pursue will ultimately prove to be empty. We try to find meaning and purpose in possessions, but we never have enough. We try to find worth in what other people think of us, but that only lasts as long as we're useful to them. Try to put our faith in money, but economic shifts threaten our security. Other religions ask more from us and more from us and more from us without ever giving us the assurance of having reached our goal. By contrast, the one true God offers to feed us and satisfy us with a lavish feast. Water, bread, wine, and milk, these are all staples of the time. They're basic sustenance. God invites us to delight ourselves with rich food, verse 2. But it gets better because it also won't cost us a thing. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. False gods are a waste of our wealth and our work. The satisfaction the Lord offers is free. Why is it free? Well, because it's been paid for through the work of the suffering servant that we looked at last week in chapter 52 and 53. If we come with anything to offer ourselves, we can't receive this feast. Because the truth is, we have no money, verse 1 says. There is nothing that we have that can earn us a place at the table. So instead, through the super servant, God welcomes us to a free and fulfilling feast. That's the first thing God welcomes us to. Number two, the second thing the Lord welcomes us to is a forever promise in verse three to five. But this is more than just a a promise that we might make to one another. This is something the Bible calls a covenant, a covenant. Uh, John Frame helpfully describes covenants in the Bible like this, that as Lord, God deals with human beings through covenants. A covenant is like a treaty between a great king and a lesser king, in which the great king describes the relationship, imposes law, and promises blessings to those who obey the law and curses to those who don't. In the Bible, God makes covenants with Adam, Noah, Israel, and Moses, David, and with Jesus. So in the prophets especially once the exile is in view, once national Israel is no longer, um, it's, it's fulfilled its place in God's plan. Prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah promise a new eternal covenant, which is better than the old because it's guaranteed to save God's people forever. So back in chapter 54, verse 10, and just by the way, 54 and 55 go together. They're the results of the servant's work in 53. But in chapter 54, verse 10, this new covenant is described as a covenant of peace. If you've got your Bible there, would you look with me back at chapter 10, uh, sorry, verse 10 of chapter 54. 
God says, the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. You see, peace is necessary because our sin puts us in conflict with the God who made us. Going our own way, from verse uh, 53, chapter 53, verse 6, we looked at that last week. Going our own way means we can't have peace with God. But in this new covenant, the Lord initiates peace, and he establishes it forever. How can he do that? Well, the clue is in the name of David in verse 3. The new covenant is connected to David. And this is important because it tells us about the character of the new covenant. This is not like the historical covenants the Lord made with Adam or with Moses, which were based on obedience to law. This covenant is more like the covenant the Lord made with David in 2 Samuel 7. You might remember the story that David wanted to build a great temple for God. And God said, no, you're not going to build a temple for me, but your son is going to build that temple. But the Lord had something even greater in mind as he told David what would happen. And so he strikes a covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 13. Your son shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That's the covenant that God makes with David. And so coming back to Isaiah 55, the eternal covenant of peace, which the Lord invites us to, is not based on our obedience, but on the Lord's love for David, his servant who goes before us and leads the way and makes our obedience possible. Ray Orton Jr. reminds us of the significance and wonder of this new covenant. He says, our salvation is more than a decision we made in time. It flows from a covenant made in eternity. So through the super servant, God welcomes us to a new promise of peace with himself forever. Never to end. We've got two so far. We're welcome to a, a free, fulfilling feast. We're welcome to a, a forever promise of peace. Thirdly, we're welcome to a perfect pardon. Uh, in other words, complete forgiveness for our sins. It's a forgiveness that's been achieved by the super servant through his suffering for our sin in our place, which we, we read about in chapter 52 and 53. So the invitation is to a perfect pardon based on what the super servant has done for us. But notice, it's not just an invitation to come to something. It's also an invitation to leave something behind. We might say it's an invitation to chuck a spiritual Yui. So Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. In other words, turn away from sin and turn towards the Lord. That's actually what the Bible means when it uses the word repentance. 
turning away from sin and turning towards God. And it's something we all need because Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because the Lord has laid on Jesus all of our sin, he invites us, he welcomes us to come and enjoy a full and free forgiveness for our sin. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? You know, if, if we have even the slightest bit of dirt on someone, it's so easy to kind of keep that in storage, ready for when we might be able to use it. And what we know of each other is so limited. But God, who knows each of us so well that he even knows how many hairs are on our heads, who sees into the deepest, darkest recesses of our hearts, even deeper than, than, than we can or want to see of ourselves, the God from whom we can hide nothing, who knows everything we've ever done, the good and the bad. He knows our every sin, big and small, yet because of Jesus, he promises never to hold those sins against us, to never use them as leverage, and to never bring them up again because his servant Jesus has paid the price for them. It's incredible, isn't it? This is the gospel, friends. And this is what the God of the Bible invites us to, a free, fulfilling feast, a new promise of peace with himself forever, and a perfect pardon for our sin, where it is never held against us ever again. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord's super servant, achieved on the cross for us. And the welcoming invitation to all this is right there on the page in front of us. It's to come. Come and enjoy this. In the rest of the chapter, from verse 8 to 13, the Lord gives us the motivations for accepting his welcoming invitation, the reasons they can be trusted. Because, yes, some of this seems too good to be true. What we find here, there's a lot of overlap. The first reason ties in closely to the third thing we're invited to, and each of these reasons is uh, closely tied in uh, to each other as well. If you're a Venn diagram person, I'm sure you can make a very nice one here. The first thing, first reason we can come is there in verse 8 and 9. Because God's ways are higher than ours. You might notice verses 6 to 9 are quite carefully and cleverly structured and kind of pivot on this idea of our thoughts and our ways versus God's thoughts and God's ways. Our ways and our thoughts are on one end of the spectrum, the product of wickedness and unrighteousness. God's ways and thoughts are over on the other side of the spectrum, the product of, well, the product of being God, really. And the distance between them is like the distance between heaven and earth which is why it's so sad that often the thing that keeps us from enjoying God's welcoming invitation is our own intellects, our own minds. Now, this is not to say that when you come to Christ, you need to leave your mind at the door. But often we over-evaluate ourselves and we under-evaluate what God is inviting us to. It's everything from, I'm not that bad, I'm, I'm doing okay, I don't think I really need a savior, I don't think I really need my sin paid for like that. I'm not, doing, I'm not doing as bad as the next guy. It's everything from that over to going, you know, the message of the Bible just doesn't make sense to me. Well, if we wait until the message makes sense or until we feel like we need Jesus, we may miss out 
Because there's an implied warning in that urgent invitation of verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The implied warning there is that there may be a time when the Lord is no longer found and when he's no longer near. Instead, we're to look at what the Lord offers in his welcoming invitation, with perhaps a glance at the suffering servant to appreciate the cost of this invitation and trust that this is what we really need. Because the plan that the Lord worked out to save us is something we could never have come up with ourselves. We could never have come up with a plan where the Lord's pure justice and his pure mercy are both able to remain completely intact as he deals with the sin of his people and also commits to love them forever. Jesus on the cross is the product of God's ways being higher than ours and his thoughts being higher than ours. Not to say the Bible is irrational or illogical, far from it, but simply as God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And just to say as well, accepting the invitation of the gospel is not an intellectual exercise. It's not simply intellectual assent or agreement. It's turning away from our own way and turning towards an infinitely righteous and infinitely wise God. It's the same reason the Lord didn't send us an idea or a proposition or an argument when he sent us Jesus. So he sent us himself in the form of his divinely appointed servant to do what we could not. Accepting the Lord's welcoming invitation means trusting his way. Well, the second reason we can accept the Lord's welcoming invitation in verse 10 is that we can always trust what he says because his word always works. I'm sure most of us have had the unfortunate experience of being in conversation, telling someone something that we find incredibly interesting and incredibly stimulating and for it to absolutely fall flat in front of us. Holds no interest for them. And for those parents, how many times have you asked your kids to tidy up only to come back half an hour later and find that your words had absolutely no effect. How often have we been on the receiving end of broken promises? The good news is that God's words are never like this. His words never fall flat. He never breaks promises. His words always hit the mark. Now, if your garden is anything like mine, as soon as the summer rains start falling, the grass shoots up three inches. It's unthinkable for us to imagine the rain falling down and to have no effect on the ground and the, on, the, on the plants and vegetation. In the same way, it's unthinkable that God's word should go out and not achieve what it's sent for. So verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, for one thing, this means we can trust the Lord's welcoming invitation. What he offers is what will be received. When he offers a free feast, a forever promise, and a perfect pardon, we know that those things will certainly be available. They'll come true. But for another thing, it reminds us of the importance of the Lord's word. 
his effective and powerful word and of our need to listen to God's word. Listening to his word is key to responding to his invitation. So in the middle of verse 2, going back for a moment, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live. It's telling us just a little bit more about the nature of that free, fulfilling feast the Lord gives us. A lot of it is contained in his word. And accepting the Lord's welcoming invitation means trusting in his word. Well, the third reason that we can accept the Lord's welcoming invitation is because his new creation is coming. Verse 12 and 13. Uh, Most of the structural units in this part of Isaiah end with a note of praise, with a song, with joy. This section is no exception. But do you notice who's in the choir? It's creation. It's the mountains and the hills who are singing. And trees are clapping their hands. And that's because the Lord's goal for his salvation isn't simply to restore a dispossessed people to a geopolitical kingdom. It's to completely remake and renew the world. And from this point on in Isaiah, from chapter 56 to 66, the new creation becomes much more the focus. Useless and ugly thorns and briars will give way to beautiful cypress and myrtle trees. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Verse 13. This new creation, friends, will last forever and will be better than anything we can imagine here today. It's a reminder to be careful of living only for today of evaluating the Lord's invitation based only on today. Ultimately, the Lord's welcoming invitation is not to enjoy heaven on earth. If that's what we're after, then the invitation will not appeal. But if we remember that the invitation is to a glorious future in a redeemed and renewed world, where all the pain and struggle and disappointment is nothing more than a distant memory, well, well, that sounds like something I want. But notice also the place of the name of the Lord in this new creation in verse 13. In this new creation, there shall be a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is that the use of the word name there is about God's fame, his renown, knowledge of him. Uh, again, Ray Orton Jr. comments, in fact, that magnitude is the point It shall make a name for the Lord. The renewed creation, enjoyed by a renewed humanity, ruled by the unchanging Christ. The whole point of this massive salvation is to display forever what kind of person God is. So accepting the Lord's invitation means looking forward to his new creation where we will know him forever. Doesn't that sound incredible? Friends, the God we've come to know invites us to come, invites us to respond. It's it's not enough to know that he comforts and that he loves and that he redeems and that he helps and he renews. These are the qualities of the God of the Bible, but they're there to be experienced, to be known and enjoyed. We can only know them on the basis of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin the one who died in our place to allow us to experience this relationship with the Lord. Our sin creates a hostile barrier between us and him, but Jesus, the servant, 
makes peace, brings us into a personal relationship with God forever. Back to 53 verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. But we must respond to the welcoming invitation. In Isaiah 55, numerous times the Lord says, Come, 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 everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk. Seek the Lord, return to him. Jesus in Matthew 11 verse 28 says, Come to me, all who labor on are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come to Jesus. At the very end of the Bible, the last couple of chapters, in John's vision of heaven, John records these words. And just notice the parallels with Isaiah 55. This is Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Friends, being a Christian is about the experience of knowing God, of responding to that invitation to come and know him through Jesus. Uh, J.I. Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, he tells the story of talking with a scholar who had basically torpedoed his academic career by firmly holding to the biblical gospel of grace uh, in opposition to those who were making the decisions about his career going forward. And his comments of Packer after some moments is as profound as it is simple. He says, it doesn't matter, for I've known God and they have. Now, this might be taken as arrogance were it not for what we've read in the Bible today about how we can actually know God. God may be known personally in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question that our passage today raises, that the Bible raises, is have you responded to this welcoming invitation to know the Lord? Do you know him? The invitation is there. Come. Come to a free and fulfilling feast. Come to a, a, a forever promise of peace. Come to a perfect pardon for your sins. Come trusting in his ways. Come trusting in his word. Come looking forward to his new creation. Come to Jesus, the suffering super servant who makes this all possible. But do come. Why don't we pray? Our God and Father, we thank you so much that you've sent the Lord Jesus Christ to do what we could not do, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Lord, thank you that we can know you. And Lord, I pray that each of us today would know you better after spending time in your word. Lord, help us not to put our thoughts above your thoughts, to be mistrustful of your word, to long for heaven on earth rather than heaven in heaven. Father, help us to move through life close to you as ones who know God because of Jesus.
pray this in and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Let me just say, if you listen to what the Bible